1: I'm a free black man, hold up my head black man,
0: beautiful
1: black man, I don't dare feel nice man, I love your brother black man, and chase your dreams black man, and get that cream black man, we What's the going on, man. Welcome to another edition of Confessions of a Native Son. I'm your host Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking and engaging dialogue about race, culture, and business. In this episode, I chop it up with my brother from another mother, Ian Kilo. Ian and I served together in 1st Battalion 8th Marines, where we deployed to Okinawa, Japan back in 2014. As a white Marine officer from Little Rock, Arkansas, Ian brings a unique perspective on race and culture, particularly with regards to race relations between blacks and whites in the Deep South. His family has a long lineage of service with the Confederate Army in the Civil War, hence the unique perspective. Ian listens to all my podcasts and was one of the first people to donate to Thrive, the small business incubator I launched for youth and young adults in Newark, New Jersey. I reached out to Ian last week and asked if he'd be willing to come on my show, and he agreed. We discussed various topics ranging from our military service, Arkansas and the George Floyd era, and the future of American race relations. Ian even took the opportunity to flip the mic towards me and ask me a few questions. We have a great conversation, as only brothers can do, and I truly appreciate him for coming on my platform. As always, I want to personally thank you for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy today's show. You start a business with him, you make commitments to him, we all can profit and win and reinvest with our friends, and circle back to the hood and teach them youngsters to do it, do it. And we're live. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of my show. I did something radical this week. Well, it's not too radical. I'm just being funny. But I went out and I got a white Marine to come on the show and talk about race with me. Uh, His name is Ian Kilo. And Ian and I served together in the Marine Corps down at uh, Camp Lejeune. And, uh, you know, I like to I like to stir the hornet's nest up here. And I'm not afraid to have good dialogue. And uh, Ian is a good friend of mine. And so I figured, what better person to come on the show. Uh, What's going on, Ian? Man, not a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, it's a pleasure having you, man.
0: What made you feel uh, comfortable to come on my show and uh, talk race with me, man? Uh, just the—it's uh, probably the informal discussions I think you and I have had over our years in one eight and camp was Uh I, I felt like we were always cool enough to talk about it and be honest with each other. So. Yeah.
1: It feels like everybody wants to talk about this stuff, but like they don't really even have people to talk about it with other than like their own little circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm excited to kind of have you on here, because um, I just think you bring a unique perspective. Right. It's a Caucasian male, white male from the deep south. Right. And so some of the stuff we're going to talk about, you know, I want to hear your perspective. And I think our audience can appreciate it, because that's the biggest thing I get from this show is people really do appreciate like all the different dialogue that we have and the people we have coming on here.
0: Yeah, man, I, I can do that. No problem. I mean, I guess to introduce myself. Um, uh, so like Mike said, Ian Kilo. um, I was born and raised in a town of, uh, about 8,000 people in rural Arkansas, when Arkansas to be exact, that's the name of the town. Um, and when I say I grew up in the town, I really grew up about 15 minutes outside of town, uh, on my family's farm. That has been in my family for like seven generations, something like that. Um, so I am from like that that cliche like deep South family. Uh, my grandfather's grandfather uh, fought for the Confederacy, um, and there his pictures on the wall, like in his Confederate uniform, in my grandmother's house. Um, there's a good deal of confederate memorabilia strewn about like the, the family's um, land and uh, I guess in the, the home and you know even even after that my, my grandfather his grandfather um, my dad everyone has served in the military in some capacity uh, so yeah, uh, I grew up hunting, fishing, doing all the cliche white person things in in Wynn, Arkansas. I, I don't think I'm country um, by like local standards, but the rest of the U.S. probably thinks I'm pretty country based on my habits. So, what
1: has it been like watching all the the race stuff going on in the country?
0: Man, all right. So to get into uh, my Marine Corps, um, history a little bit. Uh, I served as an advisor to the, the Georgian army. Uh, for a lot of people who don't know, Georgia is a country in Eastern Europe and they send troops to Afghanistan, uh, more, more than anyone else other than the U S. Um, and the Marine Corps, uh, sends uh, like a handful of Marines with each Georgian unit to uh, help them do their job better. Um, so I lived with a Georgian infantry battalion for a year of my life, uh, seven months of which, uh, I was with them in Afghanistan. And after I got back from Afghanistan, I, I had like two months to decide what I want to do with my life, either get out of the Marine Corps, or stay in. And of course I didn't have a plan because I'd been in Afghanistan and didn't want to take two months to, um, figure that out. So I, I stayed in the Marine Corps. I went to teach at the Marine Corps Security Cooperation Group, which um, trains advisors uh, to go downrange with whatever like partner force that we work with. So the Iraqis, the Afghans, a bunch of people in South America. Um, and while I was there, I went to several courses at the Foreign Security Institute in Arlington, Virginia. Um, so the Foreign Security Institute is where they Essentially they train uh entry-level State Department personnel to work at embassies and consulates overseas and in, in a whole variety of different capacities. Um But the training that I went to there was centered around negotiations. And the the big thing that I learned while I was at that training was that in any negotiation, if if you want it to be successful long term. You, you have to understand what, what both parties want and what they need. And those aren't necessarily always the same thing. Um, and in order for you to, to, to really understand what they actually need, which is, is your goal, what you wanna to get to create that long-term solution, you, you really have to know the the other party that you're dealing with and, and know a lot about. Um, so I, I say all that because when all this stuff is going on, um, I try to work hard to, to take the perspective of both sides. Um, and as a, as a white dude, uh, especially like around here, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty in tune with how the white people feel about it. Mm. Um, and, and you know, obviously I don't mean to like dismiss it at all. Uh, the black lives matter movement or anything like that. Um, I, I think there's like a, a lacking, why people feel like there's a lacking in perspective from their side? Um, and I, I think if you want to find like a long-term solution, you, you can't just make it, uh, uh, about black people. Although like, that is the issue we're dealing with. Like you, you've got to bring the, the white people to the table with something that addresses their needs. Um, and you know, whatever that may be, if they just want stability and they, you know, they want to be able to pay for their kids to go to school. I, I don't know what that is, but I, I think, I think white people feel like they're, they're not being included in, in some sense. Um, and if you want to get the long-term solution and you want to bring everyone on board, you, you've you got to get their perspective on it. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of controversial.
1: Uh, to say I that. It, I think it ties into the whole all lives matter thing. You know, black yeah. people are saying all lives matter. We're just like, black people are like, yo, we got issues that we need to get addressed specifically for black people before we can get them addressed for the, everyone else. And I think the reason that is is because so many different groups in this country have made so much progress in a short amount of time what's taking black people literally like 50 years. You know, yeah. there are groups that I'm not going to name them that, well, fuck it, I'll name them. You know, you've got the LGBT community and that kind of stuff. Um, but I just feel like, yo, man, they come out on the, the panel, not panel, but they come out and they they have their agendas and they make so much fucking progress, you know, yeah. like black people are asking for the same, you know, like, damn, you just gave these guys this stuff, but we're, you know, we're asking for it. Um, but I, I think you're going to bring a unique perspective because you're down in like the deep South. Like how have, how has Arkansas reacted to the matters going on across the world and seeing it on TV? Like what kind of, what kind of, um, Strain as it put on in the local community, you know, when you have rural blacks kind of like watching this stuff go on and take place, and now they're kind of looking at their neighbors and it's just like this weird. is it like you
0: feel like there's a tension, or is it kind of dissipated? man, to, to be honest, well, so so you, you gotta understand Arkansas and Little Rock as a whole before before we take that discussion any further. So, um my hometown and and most, particularly in the Delta, the Delta in Arkansas is where most of the farming communities are. Um, like Northwest Arkansas is you know, the Ozark mountains, uh, kind of like hillbilly country. Um, and that's, it's pretty wide up there. Uh, but in the Delta it's, it's pretty mixed, but most of the towns are, are, are still segregated in terms of just where people live. Um, like the, the black people in my hometown all live in Ward Four or AK across the tracks. It's um, the same
1: thing. I was just about to say that across the tracks. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I know about the South. Black people live on the other side of the tracks.
0: And here in Little Rock, it's it's across the, the interstate, south of six thirty. Yeah. Um, that's where most of the black people in, in town live. Um, but when all the, the Black Lives Matter stuff started going down, they. They have protests. They're all peaceful. Um, so little rock has a lot of history with the, uh, race issue, right? Uh, the, so for us growing up in Arkansas, we, we learned about the little rock nine at, at a very early age, um, for people who don't know. Uh, so 1953, four, something like that, um, had Brown versus education Board of education, decided, Hey, we've got desegregate schools. Well, that takes like years to implement, um, or took years, bureaucratic, whatever, uh, delayed it 75. Uh, they started or attempted to start sending, uh, black kids to what had been a all white school here in Little Rock, Little Rock central. They selected like nine students, um, And the day they're supposed to go to school, the governor of Arkansas deployed the National Guard to prevent the kids from entering school. And uh, he said if they entered the school that there was going to be essentially like race riots. Um, The president deployed federal troops, um, the 101st Airborne, and took over the Arkansas National Guard and federalized it took it out of the governor's hands and essentially used the troops to make sure that the, uh, students actually, the nine students actually went to school. Um, there's a lot more to it. Uh, than that that's like the wave tops. Um, it was still a struggle to like integrate, um, the, the rest of the schools in the state. And, and to be honest, like a uh, a lot of like the small like farm towns, um, the white kids started going to private school and the, the black kids went to public schools. Um, my hometown was an exception to that uh, where we, we didn't have a private school anywhere nearby. So like I, I went to high school, I think it was like 60, 40, like white kids to, to, to black kids. Um, but a lot of towns aren't like that because like I said, the, the white kids, um, go to the private schools and the, the black kids go to the public schools. Uh, Little Rock, for the most part, uh, probably falls along those lines. Um, now, Little Rock Central High School, where the Little Rock Nine went, uh, it's kind of like the, the running joke that they have the, the best kids and the worst kids um, in one school. Some of the smartest and some of the baddest. Uh, because they, they have a pretty, uh, wide mix, of a lot of black kids, uh, from like South and central Little Rock and, and white kids come in from the, you know, I guess the, the Northern part of the town, if you want to look at it that way. Um, so that being said, Arkansas has been dealing with that kind of stuff for a while and we actually elected our first, uh, black mayor ever. Um, a guy that's only a couple years older than us, I believe he's 36 uh, Frank Scott Jr. uh, in 2019 Um, and he did a, a, I think he did a good job of keeping the peace if you will Um, having good discourse and just maintaining civility throughout it all Um, so really it hasn't hasn't been that bad here in, in terms of like unrest. Yeah, I think um it
1: probably just more amplified because in the cities, you know, so much people are like just a lot of people, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's absolutely. like I also think Corona is like different for us up here right now compared yeah. to you all down south. You know, it's like yeah. as usual, a little annoyance here and there, but like stuff is straight up shut down. So yeah. you know, in these communities in the north, in the northeast, in the cities, whatever, people just they're not working, you know, and yeah. they got, it's just, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to get more into it, but first before okay. we, we got to go ahead and give a, we got to give our confessions for the audience. So All I'll, right. yeah, yeah.
0: you go first. Okay. So uh, my confession is that uh, I lied to my recruiter coming to the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I told him I done no drugs, um, never been around drugs, uh and the the opposite was actually very true um smoked a lot of weed experimented with a lot of other uh different substances and i just looked this dude in the face and told him nope never seen it don't know anything about it um and yeah squeaky clean and that was blatantly not true uh and it's ironic, and you know this especially, because later in our careers, like we're holding Marines accountable for smoking a joint when they get back from deployment. And maybe even in some cases, like ending this dude's career. And I'm doing that as the guy who was essentially that Marine not that long ago. And now I have to hold him accountable when I in fact have done the very same thing that, that he has done. That's my confession.
1: I appreciate you sharing that, man. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I like to do confessions is because it creates empathy with our audience. And so, you know, you being vulnerable yeah. like that uh, is, is is pretty cool. And the other thing too, man, you've grown so much too since that time. Yeah. You know? Um. So thanks again for sharing that. For me, my confession is a little different. I'm gonna go back on something that you hinted about, which is about the Confederacy and how your family grew up with the Confederate, you know, memorabilia and stuff. And I'll tell you, as a black officer. I always hate, that was the one thing that was, I won't say one thing, that was one of the many things that always bothered me about the military is just like being in an environment that still kind of celebrates the Confederacy as like a black officer. And when we look at the Confederacy, it was a representative of, it represents oppression of black people. Like literally, like the Confederate Congress issued an order authorizing the execution of black soldiers found in uniform fighting against the Confederacy. Right. There was no, you know, detain them and POW prison of war. No, you could execute them on the spot and you could execute the officers that were leading them. And so that's the kind of environment that like, you know, we're put, every time I see the Confederate flag. Right. That's what it kind of reminds me of that kind of stuff right there. Um, and I'm excited to, to pick your brain about, you know, the Marine Corps, And I know that order when they came out and finally got rid of Confederate flags and stuff and just kind of your take on that. But before we get into all of that, let's go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors. First, we're gonna give a shout out to Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. Next, we're gonna give a shout out to my brand, the one and only Ironbound Boxing, a fitness brand that utilizes the wellness benefits of boxing, To transform communities, individuals, and corporate teams, helping them thrive and realize their fullest potential. Proceeds from our services fund free boxing training, entrepreneurial education, and employment opportunities for Newark youth and young adults. Shout out to Dope Coffee and Ironbound Boxing, two badass brands, both started by Marine officers, Mike Lloyd, my co producer, and yours truly. Shout out to our super fans! Y'all know who y'all are. Y'all listen to every episode. You go to the Dope Coffee website, order your Dope Coffee. You're rocking an Ironbound boxing hoodie, sipping it out of sipping your coffee out of a Dope Coffee mug, and reaching out to us and letting us know your opinions on each episode. So we appreciate our super fans out there. The theme of today's show, so we've got my man Ian on, is. Let's talk about race. And we're not talking about race in a silo. No, we're getting people with different perspectives to come in here and chop it up with us. And so uh, picking back up of where we left off, we're going to um, let's keep rolling about the Confederacy. you No, know? um, especially in the military. Right. Did you ever notice that like all the Confederate flags and around base at Camp Lejeune? I mean, what did you think? Let me, Let me rephrase this. Let me take a pause on that. Were you ever cognizant of how it would make black people feel? The celebration of Confederate memorabilia and all of that.
0: No, man, because you know, I going to North Carolina was not that different for me than being here in Arkansas. Um, the the Marine Corps delivered on a lot of their like you know recruiting promises. Uh, I think you yeah, get to see the world, all that, all that good stuff. Uh, but they didn't deliver in terms of where they actually put me in the U S. Like I was on Arkansas. That was just closer to the ocean. That's what I felt like in North Carolina. So no, like, uh, to be honest, I didn't even notice that stuff because I, I, it wasn't that different from what I grew up around. Um, and you know, I, I obviously went to, to high school with and lived in a community that, that had plenty of, of black people and, I didn't, you know, looking back, I'm sure it bothered people, but I didn't think of it that way when I was in high school. It's just the way things were. So, Marine Corps, I once again just didn't see it. When did you think you started to become aware? Man. Probably hanging out with. uh you and uh our buddy philip jones um more uh i can tell you like a hard event uh, but just over time uh i think too for for me personally um and and you probably could relate to this a little bit um coming back from Afghanistan changed my perspective a lot uh, about other, other people and their perspectives. Cause, cause I spent, you know, all my time, I had my uh, four Marines and my corpsman, uh, my like medic from the Navy. And then it was like about 40 Georgian soldiers. And then we had another like, 20 ish Afghan soldiers. Um, and so I'm trying to wrangle all these different groups all the time with pretty wildly differing perspectives, backgrounds, views on everything. Um, and then you, you throw all that in and we're, um, trying to do our job in Afghanistan and, uh, it's a lot of stress and you just, you learn a lot more about like what, what makes people tick and you learn to look for, for why. Uh, So for example, um, one day we, we um, shot a guy in a escalation of force um, incident. And it turns out he was one of the Afghan soldiers from our own unit. Uh, and the next day this guy died. Uh, the next day I went out to meet the Afghan soldiers. Um, we had a patrol we had to do that day. And I was expecting to not go on the patrol because, and I told my Marines, this is like, Hey, we're going to sit here for the next Three four hours while I explained to these Afghan soldiers why we killed this guy. Um, When I went to talk to them, they were just said, "Hey man, what's going on? Like, you ready to do this today? Where are we going?" And I just kind of like look around and I explained to them, "All right, well, we're going here, here, and here. We're going to do X, Y, Z." They're like, "All right, cool. You ready to go?" And just had to stop them. Like, you you know we we shot one of your guys the other day, right? Yesterday. In fact, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't following the rules. So it was his fault. Like no biggie. And I just looked around and y'all, you sure? We're cool. Like really? And there, yeah, it's his fault. So moving on. And I talked to a my Marines separately and, you know, reflecting saying, man, that's for us. That's crazy. Like, you know, if, if it would have been the same case and even if one of our Marines was absolutely in the wrong and one of the the Afghans shot him, every one of our guys would have been like, man, fuck those dudes. Like been world war three. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Like, it would have been a Mexican standoff and a lot of people would end up getting shot. But the, the Afghan soldiers were just so numb to it all. And like people getting killed like that was just such a part of their like day-to-day life that they literally didn't bat an eye at it. I'm just like, eh, whatever. Um, so events like that, um, And then just working with these other cultures, other people in general, just taught me to uh, look into where they're coming from and like why they act the way they do. Um, So yeah, that's roundabout way of saying how I started changing my perspective a little bit.
1: Do you think when people talk about white privilege, do you think it's real? Do you think that they're
0: do
1: you think it's a real thing or are you more annoyed by it?
0: Um uh, yeah, I, I think I'm a annoyed by it. Um because I and and I think this has been true for for my family in particular, at least, like you know, I, I've been given a lot um in, in my life and stable household, food, water, you know, toys when I was a little kid, guns when I got older, like, uh, my, I got some scholarship money, but like, if, if I didn't, like I was going to be fine. Um, but everything that like I've been given, like I've, I've taken it and like made it, made it better for, for me. Um, and, and I think my family is like, habitually done that. Like, yes, I'm given stuff, but I, I take that and I, I make it grow constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, w- when people say, um, that, you know, white privilege is a thing, like I, yeah, I, am I like privileged to have been given stuff? Uh, absolutely. But I've also like worked very hard to like make to grow what I've been given. And and I think a lot of white people, when, when they hear that, they they feel the same way. And they feel like that detracts from uh, what what they have accomplished in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, and it negates the hard work, the long hours, all yeah, that they put into yeah. it.
0: Cause I mean, that that still like, you know, happens. And that, that frustrates me. And I, I think that like frustrates other white people. Do you think maybe we're not
1: explaining it the right way? You know, or we too, we're too like, nobody likes to get attacked. I don't care who you are, you know? Yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, that, uh, there there's a book going around, uh, at the, the height of, I don't say the height of it, but you know, a couple months ago, um, Right after the George Floyd thing, the white fragility. Yeah, white fragility. Um, I, I can't remember the lady's name that wrote it. But so going back to like the negotiation piece that I was talking earlier, you can't like open a dialogue with somebody by like right out of the gate calling them fragile, weak, whatever. Like I a lot of people will, will take offense to that. Uh, even if you have a valid point, like, I, I don't think that's the way you should go about it. Uh, cause that's like me sitting down, you know, essentially saying, Hey, like you're an idiot, but let me explain to you why you're an idiot. Like it, well, as soon as you open with that, people are going to turn you off. And, and I think for a lot of the arguments that are out there for, for white people that, that can be like swayed to see it from a different light when you like open it with things like that or saying you're only here because of your privilege. Yeah. You go, you, you lost that. conversation. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah.
1: For me, right. Like I'm not scared to interview anybody. You know what I mean? Right. But I will say like, yo, I learned a very important lesson. I mean, I didn't learn. It. I already knew it, but my battalion commander put it in good terms. Just don't be an asshole. You know, yeah. like you invite somebody to your platform, you fucking attack them right away. You think they're going to really open up and create dialogue? No. You know, I will tell you my take on white privilege. I think when people say, I think it's the absence of color. The privilege of saying you don't see color. You know, like a guy like me, I don't get that privilege. You know what I mean? When I go into the room, I'm the only black guy in the room. You know, I can't be like, oh, uh, I don't don't really see color. I feel it. You know what I mean? It's like you can feel it breathing down your neck. That idea that like you got to be fucking... 100% Hundred percent better than everybody in the room. That you have to be perfect. That you can't make any flaws. You know what I mean? It's like that's always there. And what I equate to white people. When white people are like, "Oh, uh, we don't see color." I'm like, "Really? Have you walked into a party with a hundred all black people? How did you feel in that environment? Right? Did did it feel a little awkward to you? Did you have yeah. to worry about like how can you how you moved and maneuvered?" The answer is yes. But we as black people, we have to live in that like to be successful or what they tell us, successful, we got to live in that shit 24 seven.
0: Okay. So, so that's, that's something I, I, I want to talk to you about. Um, so you and a lot of the other like black officers that like we knew in the Marine Corps have, have gone on to be successful. And like, you know, the standard, uh, as well as I do, like it's, if you're not like getting out of uh, the Marine Corps as a lieutenant or captain and going to business school and like becoming successful in the, the business world right out the gate, people are like, "Man, maybe that guy should have stayed in," because that—that's not what the the plan is supposed to be. Um, but, so one thing that that I don't like um, is. So well, white people like to, to point to, to guys like you, uh, who like serve military, like further their education, like giving back community, doing good. Like, you know, our other boys that have gone on the you know, top 10, 15, five business schools and are doing great. And, you know, white people point to those guys and say, Hey, like, obviously it can be done. Uh, and then the, the counter to that is like those get those guys are the, the exception, not the norm, uh, which which I understand, but I, I think that that detracts from what what like you personally accomplished. Um, so I uh, Michael Waits, uh, Jr. Johnson, uh, Josh Smith, uh, DeMond, uh Bledsoe. Let's see who else is there. Malcolm Davis, uh, all dudes that like I graduated high school with that have gone on and I guess quote unquote like live good lives. They got good jobs, like stable. Uh, they got an education in some form or the other. Like they're doing good, uh, relatively. And I, like I said, I think like dismissing them and in some ways like takes away from from their accomplishments um do you understand what I'm no I, at? no
1: no you're you're talking about like not acknowledging their are you saying not saying that they're the exception yeah yeah
0: so so while yeah maybe like per capita they are the exception like using that um, white people use it to dismiss like the the race and uh, the systemic racism piece, right?
1: Um, and black people not acknowledging it though takes away from their progress. Yeah, right, right. I agree. hundred percent. So this is what I'll say though about that, right? Like for me, people say I'm successful, right? I mean, I am, I really am successful. I mean, I can't complain, right? I am I like super wealthy? No, I mean, do I, am I pretty smart? Yes, Do I have opportunities? Yes. Do I have freedom to be what I want to be and say what I want to say? Yes. So by all means, it's successful. And I have a long track record of accomplishments I've done. Um, But the thing that I I, I look at is sometimes I think with white people, they focus on the wrong metric. You know what I mean? It's like, we like to celebrate, you know, the Pip Joneses and the Mike Steadmans without acknowledging the fucking thousand similar guys with similar backgrounds we left in the fucking graveyard. You know what I mean? And it's like, yo, if you're a business owner, I'm gonna say a business owner. Let me think of it as something else. Uh, I don't know, like, is, is our metrics always the people we weed out, you know? Or do we look at like cumulatively, like what is our track record? You know what I mean? Like the Marine Corps, like I always like to say of like, you know, hey, we, you have the number of black officers you recruited into the infantry. How many of them have gone on to be successful? You might have your one or two generals, but like, yo, how many have you left? How many careers have you, you know, left in the dust? You know what I mean? And like, we focus on the two guys that make it without and virtually ignoring and asking ourselves like, yo, why did we leave, you know, 3,000 in in, in the graveyard? You know, what is going on there? You know what I mean? But I think sometimes people like to overemphasize the success without acknowledging, you know, the other piece. And another thing people have to understand too, for us that are successful, you know, it's like black people always like to say, uh, earn a seat at the table. You want to earn a seat at the table. And it's hard for me now is like, even with my kids here in Newark, I want them to achieve all the success I have, right? But I'd be a foolish to not acknowledge the fact of like, yo man, I had to go to the fucking Naval Academy. You know what I mean? I had to get shot at, literally. Had to join the Marine Corps, the infantry, pledge a fraternity, you know what I mean? Do all this stuff just so people can say he's a good dude. You know what I mean? Just so yeah. they hear you out, right? If you're a black and brown kid coming from Newark and you don't have all that kind of stuff, Right? You're very being. people aren't just saying like, "Oh, he's a good dude. And I think that's what people mean when we talk about like privilege of like, yeah, black people, you know, to achieve success, but look at what they fucking had to do to get it. you know, to be in the same position that people are in. I see it up here all the time with the um with the uh, uh, with the universities and whatnot, especially in the entrepreneur scene. you know, black people, we got to go to fucking Harvard and Yale and all these different schools. And just, I just a lot of white entrepreneurs, man. They just go to like Hofstra, you know, state college. No, nothing against state college. I'm not. not I love state college. I got my master's from Rutgers. But you understand the the that like we got to go to like the fucking best schools to get the same opportunities as a guy that goes to state college.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm going to state college to get my master's uh, in business administration. So yeah, I completely understand. Um, and that's. So that kind of brings us around to, to something else that uh, I figured we we talk about. I think it's relevant, uh, particularly for you and what, what you're doing at, at Newark there, is when, when you look at those successful uh, minority guys, um, I, I think there's usually like a theme uh, with like how they got to where, where they are now. Um, and one, one thing I think is, is, is sports, but it, it's not necessarily like the fact that they're, they're, they're playing sports. It's, it's the intangible stuff they get out of it. So like, what, what is, what is a good coach, right? He's, a, he's a mentor to his, his athletes, right? He's like the role model that I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people may not get at home. Right. And the the athletics provides some, some discipline and and direction and leadership, having a good mentor, a little discipline and having direction. Like those things uh, I think greatly contribute without having like live in your shoes to, to, where you are today. And, and I think like something like that is important to, to replicate, to, to grow that pool of black generals in the Marine Corps, if you will. Sports. Um, the things that come from it, not necessarily sports. Uh, but that, I mean, I think that's, that is a good like middle ground in like something that, that is easily easily done like wholesale that you can you know take to to Newark or take to uh, downtown Little Rock and like implement and like you know provide direction some some mentorship and at least give you some of the tools. Yeah I think what you're talking about is just like the sense of
1: community, the sense of belonging, yeah. you know, the yeah. sense of like you know, the uniformity, right? Like there's just something about when you're like on a team, you know what I mean? And I think that the, the, going back to, you know, tying it to military though, I think the challenges in certain groups, like you feel like you're on the team, like you go into it because you're supposed to be on the team, but they don't really accept you. Not really. You know what I mean? Like you're there, but you still ain't really one of them. You know, it's just like we let you, you're on the practice squad. You know what I mean? Like you're part of us, but
0: like when it's game time, we're not, you're not really our go-to. You know, so did you did you I know your experience experiences vary, but did you feel like that like in Afghanistan that you were still outside of the team? And I know we have like as the platoon commander, you're already kind of on an island. Yeah. Right. Did you feel like that? That that you were still you were on the team, but
1: a little bit. I think it was just dude, I felt like I fucking stood out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like I didn't have anybody I could talk to. I felt like I didn't have my I relate to. Like that's one of the things that makes me and you so tight. Because when I first saw you in Battalion, right? You know, you get all the just quite frank, all the lieutenants come check in. It's a bunch of like white lieutenants, whatever. That occasionally you got a black one, and then there was just something about you. I was like, Hey, what's up, man? How, what's going on? And we just hit it off. I'm like, Yo, this dude got some. You got that that swag or something going on, you know? And I just knew you were different. But to be fair to all those guys, that was just a great group, you know. Like yeah. I felt like. In that group, your peer group that came to the battalion, that group I felt like I identified with, right? Like I could talk to. I didn't feel so alone. But I was also a little bit, I was just seasoned. I don't know. I'd already been in trouble in Afghanistan, whatever. I knew that I was just me now. I get it. Uh, but when I was in Afghanistan, man, it was just so much fucking pressure. You know what I mean? It's just like I felt, uh, I literally felt alone, dude. That's why I have the samurai tattoo on my back, the ronin. You know, because at the time I didn't know how to balance it. Like I didn't know how to entertain myself. You know, I have more in common with the enlisted Marines than I felt like I did with the officer corps in the military. You know, and and so I wouldn't say I I feel like on the outside in a sense of like, dude, you feel like and I don't know if you have to feel like this. But for us, as like a black officer, man. I feel like the weight of the world is weighing on you. You know, it's like that every black, you got to be like the, the Martin Luther King of the Marine Corps, you know, mm-hmm. and you set the standard for everyone. You know what I mean? And statistically, though, it's like, yo, for every for every Philip Jones, you know what I mean? There's going to be somebody that's not a Philip Jones. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just that like, yo, the expectation for all of us to be that every single one of us is just unrealistic. And you just break even just trying to live up to it. So, yeah, I, I would say I still kind of felt on the outside because I felt isolated. I felt like I didn't have people I could even talk to about what I was dealing with. You know, it's like somebody gets killed or something or shot at, whatever. Some guys, you know, they get on the phone and they, they talk to their parents and they kind of write letters like, dude, my, I'm not writing my family about it. like, oh, Marine was blown up. You know, it's like, who am I, who am I talking to about this stuff? So I just had to kind of like eternalize it. And then the other thing too is like, you don't really have people to talk to you about what it's like to be black. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to really yeah. just be like, yo man, like I understand where you're going from. I understand what you, you, you're dealing with. Like it's, I'm here for you. And so when Pip got to one eight, I was able to kind of be that for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like when I was in, I didn't really have that because the other thing that, and I talk about this on the show a lot of times is we always talk about what racism does to us. We don't talk about what it does to what we do to each other, you know? And even in that you could have black officers and they're never talking to each other. They're never mentoring each other. You know, they just kind of, cause there's all this stuff. Like you don't want to be seen like you're fraternizing. you don't want to be seen like you're doing this and stuff. So yeah, it's just fucking, you can be lonely.
0: Uh, uh, If you were going to go back and do it differently, knowing what you know now, how would you, how would you go about it? Your second lieutenant Stedman again. I would be 100% me.
1: You know? Yeah. I think I broke because it's like when the pressure is kind of on and like people can pretend all day until, uh-huh. you know, you're really up against it. Like this pandemic, right? This pandemic is putting mental, physical, um, you know what I mean? Like all kinds of stress on people and their true colors are coming out. You know what I mean? Like people are breaking. You know, the guy that's all nice during the year, business is going good, blah, blah, blah. Pandemic hits, he's firing everybody. You know what I mean? It's all of a sudden like, yo, who is this guy? You know? But um, for me, I think I was like, I wasn't really as comfortable in myself and I wasn't as competent in myself. You know, I felt like, I felt like I had something to prove almost. You know what I mean? Like, Like, you almost like you have a chip on the shoulder. And then after I got relieved and had to go through that whole experience, I was just like, well, the worst that can happen has already happened. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like once yeah. the pressure goes off you, you yeah, I mean? like you've, you've, you've already experienced the worst. Uh-huh. Right? So now you just be you. But yeah, I would have done different. I think, you know, for one thing was like, because I was dealing with all this internal stuff, right? I didn't feel like I could relate to my company commander. You know what I mean? I felt like I couldn't go to my company commander with stuff that happened because... Uh, it would just be looked at as a negative performance or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there was that. But like when I had my commander at one eight, man, dude, my next coming commander, I told him everything. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I had no problem going in there being like, hey, sir, Smoketelli missed his dental appointment. (laughs) You know, I know I'm going to get yelled at about it, but I'm just letting you know. Uh, But the first one, you know, I was like, Shit, man, if I tell him this, now he's gonna, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I would have done a lot of stuff different, actually.
0: So, is that a theme that with your uh, boxers now? Do you you give them the, hey, just whatever you do? Yeah, be you. Yeah, yeah, be you. Yeah, just be Be you. you. And
1: I, you know, tell me too, the good, the bad, the ugly. I was like, I would rather know, you know what I mean? And we can like, we can like figure it out. You know, then just trying to like, oh, I'm going to let you, I don't want to let you down. You know, they kind of have that kind of stuff because we all kind of deal with stuff. And instead of like, really, when we when we're up against it, you know, being competent to like go to somebody and tell them. It's like the Marines, right? Like the whole smoking weed and stuff like that. Marines get caught up hemmed up. They're not going to come tell the command. Mm -hmm. What are they going to do? They're going to fucking lodge, steal, murder people. Keep, you know what I mean? Everything yeah. will come out because they find themselves in a situation. The only thing, you know, it's, I, I think that's the thing too. Is like we have this: do the right thing, do the right thing. Yeah. But like, yo, if the do the right thing is gonna cost me my career, my family, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not, Yeah, I get to feel good about myself because I do that. Now we 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 can say that stuff because we know it's just who we are. You know, uh-huh. we got young. Marines and stuff that are getting developed, man, that's a lot of pressure for them, right? So it's like, it kind of goes counterintuitive with that like open door policy, come tell me anything, but don't tell me these things. I'm going to fuck you up if you tell them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a double-edged sword, man. And, but I, I think that kind of like goes back to, uh, to what I was saying earlier. Like, I think a good leader was able to like take that, that marine who comes in and is like, Hey, you know, I did something stupid. Like to be able to tell them, yeah, yeah, that was dumb. Uh, never do that again. But here's how, like, here's where we go from here. And this is the steps we take to like help you overcome this. Like the bad leader just says, fuck you, you know, get out of my office. Um, I think that's what a lot of people like, lack just in general in their lives. Um, that good, like a, a go-to person. Uh, and what it sounds like you're, you're saying, and I, I think I already know the answer to this, but like in the Marine Corps as a, as a black dude, you felt like you didn't have that. yeah Yeah.
1: Hey, sir, I don't know how to camp. Like, I I'm just like, you know, I literally struggle camping. Now I know by all means, I'm supposed to be like 100% squared away, but between me and you, I never grew up outdoors. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just I don't wear Patagonia sweater vest. Like, that ain't yeah. my thing. All these Marines are going hunting and fishing on the weekends. That ain't me, sir. You know, I, can I use some remedial? You know what I mean? Like, but at the time, to- like now I would definitely do that because I have self awareness. But when you're yeah. young and hungry, and you're getting ranked against everybody, it's like, yo, man, that's an embarrassing conversation to kind of have, and you don't feel like, you know, you can you can have that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, man, you know, I I grew up the opposite, like, I, hunting, fishing, woods, all that from an extremely, like, young age. So, showing up and spending a week out in the field, out sleeping out in the woods, was, like, not that rough for me. Like, The other day. And I I, I didn't really think about it, you know, until I I listened to your podcast uh, with Colonel Hobbs the other day. And, you know, you you brought that up. I was, oh, shit. I I guess that's kind of true. That's why I I never had a problem. I see how other people struggle with that.
1: Yeah, and for some people, they're like, oh, you should know what you're getting yourself into with the Marine Corps and all that kind of stuff. It's like business. You don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah, like you don't even know the questions asked. And like, I didn't even really know. Right. Like I, you know, going into it, you, you pretty much know, all right. Uh, infantry, those are do with guns, uh, artillery, big cannons. And then there's gotta be tanks. Right. All right. That's all the Marines. Like, but you don't really know like what, what any of those do. You don't know what all else is out there and you don't know what that like day to day life is like, you don't even know what questions to ask. So when the recruiter uh, is just like, hey, this will probably be good for you. Or at TBS uh, or the basic school, when you've got your first real taste of the Marine Corps and they're like, hey, I think you should do X, Y, and Z. You've still just gotten mm-hmm. like, at best, the wave tops now of what you're getting into. So you just kind of walk into it blind and I there's like a, a balance to be had, I think, because, you know, the Marine Corps can't like spend all its time getting everyone up to speed, even though we try. Uh, and that's you know, where they would hold us accountable for the leadership failures. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, this dude like needs some help. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be Marines, but every time I take my dudes to the pool, I got four or five of them that may be about to drown at any minute. Yeah, and we're standing in like five feet of water right now. Yeah. Uh, but I look quite into like sports though, right? Like you, cause
1: you're a team. This is your team, yeah. right? This is your field. You're feeling, you're going on the field with this team right here. You got your sports team. You got all these wide receivers. Fucking they can't catch the football. You know, what I mean <laughs> Not one of them, right? But guess what? You're playing with them anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? You know, yeah. on your responsibility to make sure you know, it doesn't matter what happened beforehand. They're with you now. You know what I mean? So what are you doing to make sure that they're prepared so that when they get out there, they're ready to go? And my thing is like, again, this is, and it's, it's. I think for white people too, they don't understand sometimes because it can be, I get it, like it's. it can seem like pandering. Like, I don't like to use the term safe yeah. space, but by all means, like this podcast is pretty is pretty much a safe space. You know what I mean? Like me and you can have these conversations and feel fine about it. And the civilian, there are people that, because there are people that cannot have these conversations publicly, you know, yep. the space doesn't exist for them to do it, but I've created a space with this platform, with this podcast to have these discussions. The reason I bring it up is because, yo, if you've got a bunch of black officers in a room, you know what I mean? And we're like, all right, guys, take the, you know what I mean? I'm taking my armor off. Let's have honest, bro. How many of y'all are struggling? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how many of y'all are ranked last or something? You know how many of y'all trying to figure it out? You know that's the kind of stuff that you can do when you have that. So when I go to a black officer and I'm like, "Man, how you doing?" He gonna tell me the honest answer. For you, it might not be the same thing. You know, like, that kind commander ain't gonna be the same thing because of like the power and stuff associated with it.
0: I, I think like we as like officers in general just get boxed into that. Like, hey, you know, I, I got to be a tough warrior, and like no one's gonna know about my problems, and that's like the the mentality we like foster in a sense, you know, everyone, have you ever had a commander that didn't say that he's got an open door policy, but like, you know, like everyone knows like, don't bring your shit in here. Yeah. And it's like life or death. Right. But that's, that's what you feel like. Even if they don't actually mean it, it really is an open door policy. Like just, I don't know what it is. Something about the culture is like you, especially as like the young second lieutenant, you want to be that like independent Guy who, even though you're 23, 24 years old, like you got all your your ducks in a row, and you got all the shit organized for like your 45 marines, uh, and deal with all their problems, and that, yeah, that that puts a lot of a lot of pressure on you. Um, but I I do think that like sometimes that so like when the it. it the black officers get together and like, you know, talk about about their, their problems. It, it kind of like turns, um, white dudes off in a sense sometimes because like now it's, uh, about race. And I think a lot of the white guys are going about it without like considering that just at all. And they're looking at it like a strictly like performance based criteria. Like, and when they, they feel like there's still like a, un, we, I, I do sometimes, uh, like feel like there's an unfair bias against me, uh, because of like, you're, if you're focused on race, and I'm just focused on like qualification and like performance. Even though, like we're we're actually having two different conversations, yeah. but on the surface, and I, I think that that's a theme in general for like all this stuff that's going on. Like we're talking only like loosely about the same subject, and we're talking about it from from two different angles. It's kind of like the uh, pro life versus pro choice, right? Like one argument is talking about like saving the lives of babies. And the other one is talking about letting women control their bodies. Like, are they one and the same? Like, yes, but really there it's, it's two different arguments. And I think the, the movement, if you will, like loses a lot of steam when, when the discussion from like both sides, if you want to like white people and black people, isn't really, about the same thing. because mm. If the, the, you know, white people hear, Hey, we, we want it to be about equality. Right. And then the, the, uh, the white guy says, okay, like, cool. Like, we'll strictly look at your, your resume, so to speak. Right? Are you smart? Are you fast? You have good leadership skills. Like, are you strong? Like, we're not gonna worry about the rest, but like, and, and y'all, you and Colonel Hobbs talked about it a little bit, like knowing the quota exists, like now to the white guys, like it's not really about fully about qualification uh, for everyone, for some people, uh, people from other uh, like mi- minority races, like that factors into it. So me who's getting judged against all the other white guys based on my criteria, um, True or not, I feel like I'm getting, I'm competing against a guy who's not getting graded on the same criteria as not equal. And so uh, I guess, like, really, if you want to boil it down, like, white people feel like now the system is racist against them in some regards. So I'll tell you, it's crazy.
1: You bring up a good point, though. I will acknowledge this, yo. It's probably really hard to be a mediocre white person these days. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like you probably feel like, like, like I joke about with the naval cabin, like, man, to be a white kid to get in a naval cabin, you better be fucking, you better be bringing some heat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you yeah. gotta be, cause you can't be, and I am not saying mediocre. I mean, like it's almost that sense of like, you have no excuse. Yeah. You know I mean, like you don't, what do you, like you don't have any excuses, you know? And that's not, that's, that's, that's not fair for all the time, but I, I can under, I mean, I can acknowledge the pressure that I must feel of like, damn man, like your shit is not even getting acknowledged. You know? Yeah.
0: And, and that even just the, the fact that it does exist in some capacity now in people's minds, our eyes, it, it exists in every capacity. You know what I mean? If it might've been just true when we were getting recruited out of college, um, you just mentally like associate that with the Marine Corps for the, the rest of your time in like I, so I got offered, uh, by my, uh, oh, so my recruiter $400 if, um, i get one of my black friends to, uh, pass meps. And I was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know any black dudes that want to go, but I know some white dudes. And so they're like, nah, <laughs> you're not going to get any money for that. There's plenty of white guys. Like, oh,
1: so I got, so I got, I got a solution <laughs> to this problem. Okay. I want to talk, I do want to go back to what you said first, but I've got a solution to this whole issue about race, right? And companies Mm -hmm. and businesses, organizations. See, for the longest time, and I said this on another episode, race affirmative action is put on black people and brown people. It it ain't our problem. You know, I think it's white people's problem. And it's got to be their willingness to accept how they are viewed by the external world. You know what I mean? And so what I'm saying is like, if there's an organization that doesn't have a lot of black people and they're comfortable with it, that's on them. You know what I mean? If they can look around the room and see people that don't look like, uh, that, if they look around the room and don't see anybody that doesn't look like them, doesn't see any black people, any black females or males, and are comfortable with that, fine. Be you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's on you to fix it. It ain't on me to fix it. It's on you. That's your organization. That's all that kind of stuff. So going back to what I was saying about, you know, we talk about like the, the military and how sometimes you guys feel like oh, it should be about performance. Right? Mm-hmm. And it is about performance So. Right. I, it is really, truly. But I think what needs to happen is organizations, institutions, they need to put out fucking warning orders. You know what I mean? So, like, if I'm a black guy and I'm going to join the Marine Corps and there's a warning order, hey, of the fucking, you know, 100 black officers that come in each year, about five make it or, or something. You know what I mean? That way you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. And that way, if if you only have like a five percent retention rate or something potential future black officers come look at that. They see the stats. They know what they're up against and they go anyway. You're going to get a better quality. You're going to be the better candidate. The problem is a lot of us don't know the landmines. You know, Mm -hmm. we are expectation management. You get what I'm saying? We're coming in expecting one thing and then getting hit up against something else. Uh,
0: I I think I think you're right in in, that you especially like coming in you you get your biases developed early and you don't even recognize them until you're out of the Marine Corps and you're like looking back on it years later. I mean, yeah, maybe in your career, like your perspective will change a little bit, but it's hard to like explain that to everyone. And I think you touched like on a, a good point, like when we're looking at it from two different perspectives it's hard to have a dialogue or discussion about it, like a real one, uh, where where you're addressing the same things. Because we can, you know, I'll give my counterpoint on this, but if you're giving uh, a counterpoint on that over there, then we're just we're talking at each other. We're not talking to each other. And I feel like, especially now with all the uh, political strife, if you will. Like, that's a lot of what's going on. There's not, like, real discussion. It might be, like, internal to uh, one group, one party, whatever. But across the aisle, uh, I guess to use quasi-political uh, terminology, it just doesn't, it's not
1: real conversation. So I think, and this is why it's cool to kind of have you on the show. I probably need to bring you back, too, because this is a, we're getting deep right but i kind of view like america is very tribal people don't want to admit it but we are very fucking tribal the problem you have right now especially with all the race stuff is that like yo everyone is talking but nobody's talking to each other not yelling at each other i'm talking about like talking see like what the marine corps did for you and did for me as well is like you come from rural arkansas or whatever i'm from texas i live in newark now but like it brings us together and so regardless of like how we feel about stuff, we can always pick up the phone and call each other, rap, grab a beer, go hang out. America ain't like that. People just kind of stick in their tribes. They, like when I was in the South, if you lived on one side of the tracks, that's who you hung out with. Yeah. You hung out with yeah. people on that side of the tracks. You didn't hang out with people on the other side of the tracks, right? It's the same thing in the majority of America right now. And so we've got all this stuff going on and people making decisions about one another, but they're not really talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And like, the media is not going to make this happen. They would, if this was like, uh, this is your if this was Fox News, we would have to be screaming at each other right now.
0: Yeah. You know? We got 30 seconds to speak about it. Yeah. So, scream your point. I'm not even listening to whoever else is talking. I'm going to scream my point and then we're done. There's no mutual, like, mutual respect. Like, hey, what's
1: going on, Ian? Well, this is what I think. Oh, this is what you think. All right, cool. Hey, man, you want to grab some food after? Yeah. That will never happen on
0: a segment. It's like, blah. You yeah. know? uh it's, it's funny that you bring up the tribalism too man because i mean, yeah it, it is very real and like as the the dude who's uh from from the south like that um i think like a lot of southern people that they look at like being from the south being like part of the former confederacy like that's your tribe uh for better or worse like that's that's who we are and like they most people uh, white people don't look at it as like yeah slave owners they look at it as being a southern confederate and to the white people it means two very different things even though everyone else it may not so now like especially like around here i think people's like identities feel attacked hey that that's my tribe that's who I associate with. Uh, so like kind of going back to what we, we touched on earlier when you know you open a conversation with hey you're you're an idiot or like I can't believe you associate with the region that you're born in like how dare you then whoever you're talking to is immediately just they're gone. They're gone from the conversation. They might sit there and let you talk at them and they might talk at you, but they're not talking with you anymore.
1: Where do you, where do you think black America and white America is headed right now?
0: Uh, man, I think it's, it's headed the right direction, but I don't think it's going to be tomorrow that it's in the right spot. I, and I, to be honest, like, I, I think there's always going to be, like, a divide between the two. And it's either, like, hey, white people, like, in their day-to-day lives uh, incorporate more black culture or black people incorporate more white culture. Uh, and, like, so, so, so for instance, um, if you're a little white lady and you see, uh, like, a group of, like, young black men from down here in Little Rock. Like, since you are never around, uh, you're never south of 630, you don't like see them on a day-to-day basis, you don't know like the subtleties enough to know whether or not, you know, those dudes are gangbangers or not. Like to you, since it's not in your group, like you're automatically just gonna assume the 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 worst in people. And I think you you mitigate that through just a lot of interaction like so um, I went to high school with um, a good number of black kids um, when I went to college two of the, the black dudes that I graduated with lived in my dorm um, and they would come up and hang out with me and my my white roommate we all went to high school together you know we're, we're boys we'd hang out and play Madden or whatever and there were other dudes on our floor who grew up here in Little Rock went to like private schools uh, that are all white, except for like a um, couple of black dudes that like gets scholarships to play football at the high school, essentially. Uh, and it, we always kind of laughed about the interactions these guys that went to the private schools had with uh, the black dudes that I went to high school with. It was just like, it was never malicious, but it was always just kind of corny and like awkward. Like me and my buddies would laugh about it, but these these guys who like just never interacted with black people before like sometimes just try way too hard to, to be inclusive uh, and I, I think just like the exposure like helps a lot. Spend time I, with each other, yeah, yeah. But I think there's a, there's a I think there's always going to be like a little gap. Like I don't. I tell everyone like looks exactly the same uh, and like has the same culture like you're not going to be fully comfortable with whoever that that other group is I mean it's like you said like you you're most comfortable around more black people right like why because what you look like you got similar interests like perspectives like what what about it Makes you more comfortable.
1: You days being around all black people more. I black. Think I'm more comfortable about being. I'm just more comfortable when I'm not so isolated. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. Like, right. like it's one. if you're around a bunch of white people, but you can always go see black people at like the corner store to grocery. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. you got places you can go hang out. Right? It's a whole yeah. thing when you're so freaking isolated. You know what I mean? Well, you got to drive like four hours to see another black person.
0: You know. Well, that, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like what. Um, cause you're, you're not like actually isolated. There's other people there. So what is making you feel isolated?
1: The lack of black, cul- it's the lack of culture. You know what I mean? Sure. Black of It's the lack of, there's just like in Newark, man, there's just a different vibe. There's a different swag. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, like I'll, I'll give you a prime example. When I first moved here, right? I was working at a private school, primarily young black man of color, black and brown. <laughs> kids. When I was in the South, if you were like a nerd Right, If you're like a nerd, the computer gamer kind of guy, you kind of just stood out. You know what I mean? It's like the black kid playing a bunch of games. I used to be a nerd, all right, right, I'm it's a confession. I played Warcraft and Starcraft, right? You know, it was hard to relate with a lot of the black people doing that stuff. So a lot of your friends, you know, were white that you played these games with. Then I come to St. Vinix and they got the little, the little group of kids. They all played games together. What was it? It was a group of black kids. Because when you're isolated, when you're when there's not a lot of you, the stuff you do yeah. seems abnormal. You know what I mean? But when yeah. you're in an environment, a chocolate city, a, a black university or whatever, it's just like white communities. You're going to have a bunch of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just the sense of like, you don't stand out. Like, i example, like uh, another example in the South, if you talk proper, what do they say? You talk like a white guy, you know, yeah. you're very well spoken. You're blah, blah, blah. You know, because they're not used to you. You're only one of like whatever. But in Newark, man, it's that just never happens. You know, you're just a black dude. That's intelligent. That's
0: I think that's 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 my point when you're you're asked about like where it goes from here until like those like cultural lines get blurred a lot more between white people and, and, and black people, then there's still gonna be like some divide. Right. And, and like white people and black people are still going to like gravitate towards each other. Uh, and I don't think it's the, the, the skin thing so much uh, as, as, as opposed to like the culture piece.
1: I think they're fine. Uh, Cause I think that's skin. I think I've told you, and I said this on the show, I think black people are viewed as inferior in this country. I really do. Okay. I think black being, black culture, black thought is always viewed as negative. You know,
0: yeah. slightly less whatever. I, I I agree with that because I, I think I think white people think or just in their, their minds, like my the analogy I tried to make earlier with the little old lady, like they just associate black culture with rappers and gang violence. Yeah. Like and that's that's it. And, you know, they don't know. And, and for a lot of like people they just never have white people that have an opportunity to experience, to, to, for on their own, like learn any better, uh, about like what the different cultures like, uh, so I
1: give it a cultural move, right? The dap, you know, hey, what's up, man? You dap each other up, you bring them in, hug, you know, pat the back. That is like a very, that's like urban culture, man. You know, it's like, hey, what's going on? I'm Tom. Shake the hand, the hard hand. You know, make sure you do a firm handshake so you know I'm a real man. Instead of just like, hey, what's up, dap? Or back in the day, it used to be just the the fist, you know? Uh You just keep dap. Um, Little stuff like that is different.
0: Yeah? Yeah, dude, I, I've met Several black people, and just opened it up uh, with that. Give them a little handshake that I like learned in high school or something back in the day, and I found that every time that I've done that, that I'm immediately much more welcome uh, than if I would have know, just gone in. Hi, i mean him like it's a different, a a different hand move. Hand you know, it's how you it's just how you relate with each other,
1: how you talk to each other.
0: But like, I, I would have never known that if I didn't go to like public high school exactly and I, I, I don't know like I, I think you'd have to like integrate it more like cultures together just so people have exposure to both uh, and understand how to interact with the the other group but I don't think it can be forced and and I think like a, I think a, white people like threatened I don't, I don't know if that's the right word but they feel like there's a lot of stuff that's being forced on them to be inclusive and they feel like that you know once again like this isn't my fault I was just born here and no black people live here so why are why are you telling me all this stuff now like what do I what am I doing that has anything to do I'm just trying to go to my job man leave me yeah you know? yeah and and I, I think like yeah, that people don't like being told what to do uh, and just in general. And, uh, now when, when you're telling them you have to be inclusive, uh, right or wrong, people just don't tell me what to do. Like, yeah, it crazy resentment. Um, so if you ask me, it, it is going in the right direction. I said, actually got a black mayor in Little Rock uh, a black dude got elected president of the United States not too long ago uh, progress is being made but I think it's still going to be slow dude real
1: talk well Ian I appreciate you sitting down and chopping up with me how does it feel yeah. being a representative of white America on my show we got a bunch of marines on here like i think white people uh and i'm like representing black people how does how does it feel my brother oh man uh such an honor it's funny though right like again it goes back to this like who who do we get to speak for us you know what i mean and i mean not just black people americans in general Right. It, we always try to like these intellectuals. I mean, we're both intellectuals, but you get what I'm saying? Like the people, yeah. it's like they certify certain people and they're like, you get to speak on behalf of this group of people, but you don't hear the real voices of like human beings like me and you.
0: Man, I and I, I think uh, talking about like you're certified to talk on, on blah, blah, blah. If, if anybody is, it's, it's, it's us, our like, Marine officer, like peer group, because no matter where you are in the Marine Corps, like you have been immersed in a lot of different like cultures. Like a lot of my best friends in the Marine Corps are like white Italian or Irish dudes from like New Jersey or New York, like culturally, although they're still white dudes pretty different than like where where I grew up, uh, in Arkansas and then black dudes, Asian guys, whatever. And we, we've dealt with a lot of interactive with a lot that I don't think a lot of people in America have. And a lot of times we have done that under a lot of pressure and stress, which once again, changes our perspective. Cause I mean, not to, to use a cliche example, but like when you're huddled up in the woods on some like training exercise and it's cold as shit and you're like under a tarp with some other dude, like you really don't care like where he's from or what his culture is like, as long as he's fucking warm and he's keeping you warm, like y'all are boys now. And you can talk about that later. So like that, that shared hardship and that exposure that, that we have, uh, I think gives us a a unique perspective that a, a lot of people don't have and allows us, uh, to just talk about it a, a little bit more intelligently from a position of
1: experience. Yeah. No, I mean, again, you're on my show. Do you feel attacked? Do you? Do I
0: feel like this? <laughs> <laughs> no. I
1: attacked, Kilo.
0: No, no I, 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 I have faith that uh, I was going to come on here and you're going to do
1: me right. So, this is your first podcast. Yeah. How you feel? I feel good, good <laughs> man. Dude, you get good, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. This is uh, this is fun. I really enjoy this show. I got some exciting stuff I'm going to do here in the future. But uh, um, just, uh, man, just having fun right now. You know, so many people try to, everything is such a business, you know, podcasting a business, 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 man. But it's also got to be enjoyable. You know, I don't want everything mm-hmm. I do to just be so business focused, but this is a way to express myself and talk about stuff I'm interested in. And I appreciate you sitting down and uh, chopping it up with me. Um, For our listeners out there, be sure to subscribe and support the podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review on iTunes. Also, for this show to anyone in your network who you feel identifies with the subject matter. Be sure to order some dope coffee at www.realdopecoffee.com. It's a great uh, black owned, minority owned, veteran owned business. Uh, We have great coffee and we're about the culture. So be sure to visit our website and order you some dope coffee. You can also visit www.ironboundboxing.org to support my organization where every donation allows us to support free amateur boxing, training, education, entrepreneurial education, and employment opportunity for Newark youth and young adults. This summer, we launched Thrive, a small business incubator specifically designed for youth and young adults age 14 to 22 in Newark, New Jersey. Ian here was one of our sponsors for Thrive and I appreciate that as well, my brother. As soon as I told him about what we were doing, he sent some donations along the way and trusted us to, you know, create some real impact here in the community. Thrive participants have an opportunity to pitch for 7K in cash prizes upon completion of the following curriculum, how to start a business, marketing, small business finance, and entrepreneurial leadership. Are you ready to get in the fight and help our kids thrive? It's so it's time to put your money where your mouth is. Posting and commenting on social media is one thing. Being bold and taking action is another. We could use your help and you could donate today at www.ironboundboxing.org message me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at Mike at we Ian where can they follow you at And this is an unpopular opinion but
0: I don't have social media
1: he's off the grid man he's in that North Carolina woods you gotta go old school US mail to reach him yeah uh, but he don't got social media if you want to reach Ian just reach out to me and I'll, I'll forward you his contact info Special shout out to my co-producer, Mike Lloyd, and the team from the Gifted Sounds Network. Until next time, everybody, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, now don't that feel nice, man. I
0: love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that cream, black man, we the original man. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in.